This is a Federal News Network podcast. Fourth estate agencies often lack the manpower to conduct contract reviews. Well, now a team from the Defense Contract Management Agency and the Defense Pricing and Contracting Unit wants to help. It's working with a group of volunteers from other agencies to conduct procurement management reviews. For details, Federal News Network's Alexandra Lohr spoke with the program manager and Army Colonel Joseph Davis. The biggest thing that we see a challenge with is documentation. Documentation is the is the challenge we see across the spectrum and having the file complete. Outside of that, that there isn't really a specific type of contract that uh, every agency has a problem with. I can't say that there's one certain thing, but if I was to pick out one thing that every review we conduct, documentation is one is the problem. Can you give me sort of a specific example of the sort of things you might see? Okay, well, say for example, you you do um, you do your market research. Market research isn't in there, isn't documented. If a um, extension's granted, the documentation for the extension is not there. It's just there. It's why did you do it? How did you do it? The contract files should be able to tell the story of the contract. And if the documentation is not there, it, it's very difficult to, to follow that, that train of thought. I'm sure the contract specialist, the contracting officer, when they wrote it, they understood exactly what's going on. But us coming from the outside looking in, if we can't, if the documentation is there, we can't figure out why certain decisions were made. And it's a requirement that the documentation be in there. So documentation is a foot stomp for the PMR team on every outbreak. When an agency is getting ready to have you all come in and do a review, is there any advice you have to prepare for that review? Well, what we do, we send a, we send a letter to the agency that we're going to review in advance, telling them what the requirements are and giving them uh, plenty of warning of what, what we're going to need. Basically, is to make sure that your, your files are complete, that we can access it. A lot of the problems that uh, lend to the documentation is sometimes things are in different locations rather than everything in the same folder or file. You might have something over in this application, something in this application makes it very difficult to find it, especially when we're doing it uh, remotely. We can only look at it in one way. So making sure that the files are complete are, are the biggest thing and making sure that the people that are available when we want to conduct the interviews, we select a random sample of people within the contracting group to, to conduct interviews uh, about the health, you know, just the overall um, feeling in the agency, what the atmosphere is and how people feel about the agency. And that kind of gives us a sounding board. It gives the agency a sounding board as, as us coming in as, on the outside is, well, you know, we talked to your people and this is what we was this is what we heard. We heard that Okay, you know, maybe communication is good, but people are feeling like they're not getting heard. Communication is really good going down the chain, but going back up the chain is might need a little bit of help. Big thing about the PMR is we're not an audit. We are coming in as a, an assistant. We want to help everybody get better and share knowledge. So a big thing that I push when we do our in-briefs is it sounds cliche, but we're, we're from the government. We're here to help, but we really are. We are coming in to help and help them be better. So don't take it and don't take our 
suggestions and recommendations as a, as a hit on you. It's not a hit on you. It's it's a hey, this is how you can get better. This is what we saw. We have the different findings. You know, we have commendables, we have suggestions, we have recommendations that are in the report. When we make a recommendation, it's because this is something that we've seen across multiple contracts that we reviewed, and it's probably something that's in direct conflict with the FAR, the DFAR, local policy, and could put the agency at risk. Those are what we we're trying to do, and we're trying to, like I said, help the agency get better and protect the DOD. All right. And I noticed that you have, after you submit a report where the agency can submit comments, Mm -hmm. how does that comment part work into the whole process? If you're talking about the, uh, the initial comment part, we use that to ensure that there's no misunderstanding between the PMR team and the agency reviewed. If we say that we saw something, the agency may say, okay, well, I understand that, but this is really what what was, and they can provide evidence, whatever, to back that up. And then we take that into account when we finalize our report. That is the initial report. And then after the final report is issued by DPC, what we require from the agency is a uh, corrective action plan for all the things that we provided recommendations on. And basically what what that is, is the agency coming back and saying, okay, we have these recommendations from you and this is how we're going to fix it. And then we we validate that. And the next time that we come back, we bring that with us and we review that prior to the next PMR. When there are corrective actions, is it three years before you check in on that? Or is there a time period that you look at that before the next three-year cycle? We actually, what happens is they correct those fairly quickly, usually, unless it's something that's going to take a bit of time to do. We do review those and check those periodically if it's something that's going to take a little bit. It may be three years before you'll actually see the effects of that change. If it's a policy change or some major contracts, it's going to take a little bit longer for that to actually change. We just completed a PMR just recently. And we could see a difference in the contracts between, say, 20 and 21 and the 22 contracts. We could see a, a marked difference between the contract quality based on the changes that the agency had made from the previous PMR. What would be an example of kind of a long-term, bigger policy change that you would need to recommend? I'll give you a couple things. And I've already talked about completeness of the file. Ensuring the uh, contract action reports are submitted in PDS, okay, which is Federal Procurement Data System, include all the clauses and solicitations that are tailored for a specific requirement, not just thrown in there. So the clauses that are included on contract should be specific to that contract. Ensure the files are documented to demonstrate system for award management is consistently checked. So that's something that, that has to be done. And then uh, ensure that the uh, DD2579 small business coordination record is consistently completed and signed by the small business specialist and retained in the contract file. That's something that is one of the top findings that we have seen over the uh, course of the year. Army Colonel Joseph Davis of the Defense Contract Management Agency speaking with Federal News Network's Alexandra Lohr. Check out Alexandra's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. 
Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. and you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's you know getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And 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 you think of I I you know often when he'll walk away, I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he, he he faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents when they were born were often told this is a tragedy, and you should you should you know send your this child away. Don't don't you know and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever, and and you know that you know just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. 
uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.